Hello, and welcome to PodCash, the portable professional development podcast from Cash. Thanks for joining us. My name's Dawn, and I'm the editor of Cash Alumni. Hi, um, I'm Louise Mastia. I am a nutritional therapist, and I'm really excited to be here talking with Dawn today so I can um, explain a bit more about what I do and why I love what I do. That's great. Thanks, Louise. Um, I'm very excited to have you here too. Um, so what what is a nutritional therapist? What is it that, that you do on a day-to-day basis? So a nutritional therapist is slightly different to um, like a dietitian or a nutritionist because for me, um, the therapy bit is the most important bit. So we can all look at nutrition online and it is very confusing and very contradictory, but we can all kind of get an idea about what food should be on our plate, what are the different food groups, etc., etc. But for me, all of those food decisions and all of those food habits and all of those sort of unconscious decisions that we make around food are all they all start in our head and so if we don't have the right information in our head in terms of our emotional relationship with food and our habitual relationship with food and these can be really deep-rooted things that start in childhood and stay with us all the way through our life and so a lot of adults have got food issues that will actually come back to things that happened in childhood and so for me if we don't get the head bit right you know if we don't get people making um, the right decisions in their head based on you know potentially resolving situations from the past then it doesn't matter what we know about nutrition and what we should put on our plate because actually we're never really going to subconsciously make the right decisions if we're always subconsciously for some reason and that is very varied um, making decisions based on emotion or habit. That's great thank you Um, and I've spoken to you before you write some great articles and series for Cash Alumni, which is excellent. Um, but sort of, I, I sort of know the answer to the question I'm about to ask you or, or know how you feel about the thing I'm about to ask you, but um, is is that why when we're on a diet, we'd sort of do that self-saboteur thing where we know that we shouldn't be eating chocolate for breakfast, but actually, why not? Because it's yeah. rubbish. There's, there's, yeah, there's there's many different reasons why um, we have to have our head sorted rather than just go with a and um, diet's a great example. So thank you for bringing diets into it because you do know how I feel about um, how damaging diets can be. And, and there's a big mental health sink with dieting. There's a physical health thing as well, but we'll focus on the mental health thing first. So you're right, we do self-sabotage and dieting is is a great kind of catalyst to us doing that because there's a lot of negative food language and a lot of negative um, associations with dieting. So there's, there's, you know, we feel bad, we feel guilty, um, you know, it's all gone wrong. Um, And so that's all quite negative. But because we're not sorting out the reasons why we're wanting these things or our addiction to these things, we feel guilty that we're still wanting them when we've put a self-imposed restriction on them. Now, that self-imposed restriction doesn't take away any of the emotional attachment or, you know, reason why we go for that food. So it starts this internal battle. And the more we battle with ourselves, the more we want the wretched food that we're trying to deny ourselves. Um, And the more we feel frustrated that we can't have it. And the more we see it everywhere we go and we notice other people eating it more than we ever did previously. Um, And it's at the very forefront of our consciousness because we've said that we can't have it. And so that battle is actually quite stressful. Um, So the mental health links there are that we actually feel quite bad about ourselves because we can't understand why we can't just give it up. You know, what we feel that maybe we're lacking in willpower or that we're not strong enough or I've mentioned guilt. A lot of people feel guilt 
around the food that they eat or about their relationship with food or about why they find it so hard to you know to not have something and they may compare themselves to somebody else who has none of the same stuff going on in their head and can quite happily go without it and oh it's easy you just don't have it what's the matter with you you just don't have it and then you feel even worse about yourself because you think well well they can avoid it why can't I and so that does make us feel quite bad it affects our self-esteem um, and it makes us feel even worse which is actually very counterproductive to dieting will make you store more fat um, because the more stressed you get and dieting is quite stressful um, we can feel quite irritable and quite angry and it can affect our sleep etc but the more stressed you get the more cortisol which is the stress hormone the more cortisol you produce and unfortunately a side effect of cortisol it increases the amount of abdominal fat that we hold so whilst dieting is quite stressful and makes us feel quite bad about ourselves and don't even get me started on the scales of shame you know, and what negative impact that has, there's a physical link as well in that when our mental health is, is adversely affected, our physical health is also affected. So any stress, whether it's self-imposed or external, that we put on ourselves has a physical impact on our health as well. So yeah, there's, it's, it's a very complicated subject at times, but it's also a very straightforward subject in, in many ways as well, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Um, so what, what sort of things would a, a nutritional therapist do to, to sort of help someone to, to overcome those sort of weird relationships that we have with food or to, to help them to do things like lose weight because mm-hmm. coming from a, a obviously I've had you know a little bit about my sort of relationship mm-hmm. with, with food and my, my past um, stuff and um, I very much came from a, a loving sugar um, background yeah. of sort of freezer food and diet and was the only way that you sort of are shown how to lose weight mm-hmm. in the general okay. um, media and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there are lots of businesses that are mm-hmm. there specifically to support people to lose weight, mm-hmm. um, where everything's a little bit opaque and you can't really figure out how it works. Um, mm-hmm. What what would a nutritional therapist do differently to something like a slimming group? Yeah, so the, it's hard to kind of group together, and I've had many, um, I've had many articles I post on my blog. I post lots about my um, the diet industry and my thoughts on the diet industry. Now, it does in some way do some good in some pockets. So I can't completely, you know, say oh, it's all really bad. But if we look on the whole at the diet industry, um, it's there for profit, not for health. And so if we look at, you know, those types of companies that you mentioned, um, and the, the the growth of their business model since the 1970s, which is kind of when we launched into a world of dieting and it's it's fascinating why we did that but that's probably another day another story because it's quite a long one and um, but when the diet industry was launched for in the 70s we actually had quite low global levels of obesity um, but we were responding to a health crisis in America and so we changed the way that we ate um, and there was both diet food launched and convenient food now that in some ways they're the same but they're, they're, they weren't always packeted as the same and so we had these two new sort of ways of eating launched but since the 1970s until today the diet industry has grown year on year in terms of profits and market share um, and the scale of what they do so yeah groups books apps obviously if we've got more technological they've got more technological um, and it's been huge but correlate that in a similar graph and put the two together and look at what's happened to global obesity since the same time as the diet industry launched, yeah. and that has also gone up 
year on year on year. The same time the profits go up, so does obesity. So it the reason why um, they have these these sort of these matching trends, if you turn if you like in terms of statistics, is that dieting is not the answer to obesity. It is not the answer to long-term obesity. It's not even really the answer to short-term weight loss because we know um, metabolically that it has an adverse effect. And what that means is metabolic rate is, is really what we need to work on. So that's what I do with people. I'll come to that in a moment. Um, and if, if dieting is counterproductive to our metabolism, it basically means that we are much more likely to hold on to body fat, lose a bit of weight, and then come back to all our emotional ways of eating because we haven't fixed that remember all we've done is counted calories we haven't fixed any of the issues that drive us to eat we want to eat so we go back to that as soon as we finished whatever program we've been on and because we've damaged our metabolism in the process we end up putting on more weight as soon as we finished and the diet industry is not shy in saying they are built on a repeat business model and that's not me making that up that is their business model they are but, and if you just think about that for a moment, they are based on a repeat business model. So they know it's not going to work and they know that people are going to have to come back. So my approach is the exact opposite. Now as a business model, it's obviously not as effective because I don't get people coming back to me once they've worked with me because I actually help them get to where they should be. Um, and so they don't need to come back to me for the same issue. Whereas with dieting, I, I know people who've you know dieted for years decades never felt happy in their own body never felt happy with their food relationship and never had the weight they wanted and yet they've dieted for years and decades and so it's no way to live your life because we have to we have to live you know we have to eat to live and it's no way to live your life if you don't have a healthy relationship with food so where I start with people just in terms of my clients would be to first of all remove any blame and first of all show them how they've potentially been misled by the routes they've gone down because a lot of people feel like failures they've I, I tried this diet that didn't work i tried this that didn't work i did this i lost this but then i put this back on and they take that as a personal failure on them not on the not on the program that they've done and not on you know the fact that that actually isn't designed in a way that it should be, they take it as a personal failure. So my first thing with every client is to remove that with them, is to show them that actually they are not to blame. They are firstly not to blame for obesity. And you've heard me talk on obesity um, and how I, I disagree with the way it is largely represented in the media. And that, you know, the ridiculous, and I, I do mean ridiculous message of if we all eat less and move more, there won't be a problem because that is just so far removed from the truth, genuinely is. And if anybody is told that and is trying to do that and is not getting results, that is not your fault. Um, it will not work. It is not that simple. Um, and so what I do is I start with them on, and it's all to do with their head. We don't start talking about food in the first session particularly. We talk about, we do obviously a little bit, but we don't talk about a meal plan or anything like that. We talk about their head. We talk about their, you know, their food memories. What's their earliest memory of food as a child? And Often that's a traumatic one. Often that is being made yeah, to sit at the table and eat I remembered. Yeah, I remembered <laughs> my earliest memories of food, and that was sort of that force feeding us potato mm -hmm. and yeah. greenery um, at the Sunday dinner table when I yeah. used to go to my granddad's house for dinner. And yeah. 
that was where I decided mm. I didn't like potatoes or green vegetables. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and and it often is. It often is a traumatic first memory. And sometimes people can clients can be a little bit confused with me. They're like, "Well, are you not just going to tell me what to eat?" You know, because they're used to a quick fix. And because society has very much got used to a quick fix, because they're used to just being told, right, don't eat this, do eat this, don't eat this, do eat this. But actually, that's not fixing the problem. So sometimes my clients are a little bit confused with me initially. They're like, why are you asking me about that? And why is that relevant? Why is how much I sleep or how how I'm able to relax relevant? And then they get it because actually our body and our health is a jigsaw. And if we just look at one piece of that jigsaw, i.e. counting calories, and we don't look at anything else, we're never going to get the results that we desire. And we're never going to get the results for our health or our weight or our mental health or anything we've got to look at each piece of the jigsaw so that's what I do but I always start with the head <laughs> excellent I mean would you say that one of the reasons that what you do works and you don't get those repeat customers of you know coming back to you is mm-hmm. that nutrition is quite individual so yeah. actually what works for one person and like you said the person who's like oh well you just don't eat that thing mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. the, the thing that works for that person wouldn't necessarily work for, for somebody else or someone who maybe tries to follow a, a, a low-fat diet that they've seen work for somebody mm-hmm. else um struggles with that do, do you think that actually it, it it might be that that diet just isn't for them so actually being told absolutely. what to eat yeah helpful. Everyone is individual and everyone's body is, is, is generically kind of the same, but also very different. And so when, when you have these, um, these programs that are very much a one, one fits all, and even the amount of calories that the government says we should eat per day and the amount of water we should drink per day isn't, isn't set in stone by any shape because we're all different. You know, you can have somebody who sits on their bum all day and, and they're eating the same amount of calories as somebody who's on their feet all day. You know, you can't, you can't have a one size fits all because we are all very different. So when it comes to nutrition, as I say, in terms of the pieces of the jigsaw, um, dieting will only cover the amount of calories that you eat and you know it may go into things like balancing your macros or something like that because some people also make it way more complicated than it should be I don't do that with people because actually that's no way to live if you have to measure your food and you you know that's no way to live I'm sorry that's nobody wants to do that um, and so in terms of the pieces of the jigsaw everyone is different whether you're male or female whether you're um, for females particularly um, depending on what time of life they are in they may have um, different hormonal issues going on and female have sort of very distinct stages of life where nutrition plays a big part and if we just simply count calories particularly if you're perimenopausal or menopausal which can also be the time that many women start to worry more about their weight because because of that because of those hormonal changes we do put some extra weight on at that time but if then you just start cutting calories or even worse restricting fats because we do need the right kind of fats particularly at those times that's going to have a much bigger impact on your ability to metabolize fats and it's going to have a much more negative impact on your hormones so a lot of women who are in that phase will one of the biggest issues with the menopause is how they feel is balancing their emotion and nutrition can really support that or it can really hinder that so if you add into that oh I'm, I'm menopausal I've put a lot of weight on I'm going to go on a diet I'm going to cut out all of these things add that extra stress in add those nutritional restrictions in and that's not going to be productive to you losing weight in fact it's probably going to be counterproductive and so you have to take into account any health issues as well so if you have for example thyroid is a big one 
if you have an underactive thyroid, you're going to find it a lot more difficult than somebody who doesn't have an underactive thyroid to lose the same amount of weight as somebody or follow the same program. You can't follow the same program because you don't have, you know, your thyroid doesn't work in the same way. So you need foods that can support your body at that time. If you have any form of medication that has an impact on your absorption of nutrients, you need to look at that as well. If you don't sleep, you're going to, you know, you're going to not be as, um, you're not going to find losing weight as easy because poor sleep increases our hunger hormone. So you are going to always be battling against ghrelin or gremlin, which is the hunger hormone. And ghrelin always makes us crave the wrong types of food. So you're going to, what I often find with people is that when they don't take into account this holistic picture, they are battling with themselves. They are battling against their own body. And actually the body is much more responsive if we don't battle it, if we listen to it, if we try to understand it, and if we take into account all the different bits of their individual jigsaw, because not everybody is the same, of their individual jigsaw, and then provide solutions for their individual jigsaw. So my my approach with my clients is not a quick fix. You know, if they come to me and say, Louise, I'm going on holiday in three months, I want to lose 20 pounds. I'm saying, I'm not your woman. You know, I because I don't, I won't work with you in that way. Um, if you want to actually, you know, have that holiday or whatever you're doing as a goal to start to make some health changes, then the weight loss will happen as a result of those health changes. But I'm not your person to just get you to fit into a dress and then go back to what you wanted to do before, because it's 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 not. I don't want to work with people for quick fixes. I want them to understand their body and work with it. And, and do you think that that same sort of um, view of nutrition should apply to sort of everyone? Um, we see a lot of stuff, for example, in the media at the minute about childhood obesity um, mm-hmm. and sort of people supporting children to to lose weight or to eat less and move more um, mm-hmm. so that they are not then obese. Um, do you think that it's more about looking at the messaging to support children's best health? eating the right things and doing the right things that overall help. Yeah, with children, it's such a sensitive time as well. And and, um, we see a big increase in children's mental health issues. And for me, with children's mental health, there's a big link with physical health and, and there's a big link with nutrition. Obviously, for me, everything comes back to nutrition because actually nutrition impacts every cell in our body. So everything we do, whether it's physical or emotional, is impacted by the food we eat. So if we consider that children today face a very different food landscape than any previous generation, they are facing a different future health-wise. And that's one of the reasons why I started to, um, just about two years ago, on a bit of an early years nutrition campaign. And I am, you won't be surprised to know, very anti the, um, the sort of the childhood weight measures which are to put children to swimming clubs. Um, I don't think it's appropriate for children to be singled out as obese or overweight. I do agree we have a childhood obesity problem and that's a generational thing. Generally, if we have um, children who are obese or overweight, they will much more likely, 80% more likely be overweight or obese adults. They will also be much more likely to have overweight or obese children themselves. So generationally, we do need to address this issue. We do need to actually look at what's causing it and look at how to solve it. But the answer is not to get children to to feel like they are being 
segmented into right you're overweight you need to go to this club and children are being sent to those diet clubs that we've been talking about i do not agree with children being sent to clubs i do not agree with I was, children i was being just weighed. thinking about how horrified you would yeah. be if you knew my first diet club when i, I was on that <laughs> No, I am horrified. You've told me that before and it, I, it's still happening. In fact, it's probably happening more now. Um, and there are campaigns, national campaigns, um, which encourage, you know, 100 calorie snacks. And I don't think children should count calories either. My, the, what, the only thing we can do, I believe truly, to make any kind of impact on the future health predictions for this generation of children, and then epigenetically, which is the heritable traits we pass on their children and their grandchildren, um, is to actually educate children more on the food that they eat. And it's not to replace sugar with artificial sweeteners. It's not to count calories. It's not to say you see them eat less and move more because then, we have children who start to feel scared of exercise and they start to say, you know, you've heard children say, I'm not sporty. And we have adults say, oh, I'm just not sporty. Well, Nobody that's what I was going to say as well, is that we do have that sort of automatic yeah. out if we say that to people. Yeah. Like, for example, um, taking different food choices and you're saying like not to swap from sugar to just diet mm. drinks and that sort of thing mm. and, and, and sweeteners. Um, one of the things that you said to me in the past that I thought which resonated a lot is that actually that stuff is not food. Um, mm-hmm. Food is the stuff that actually feeds us and gives us nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, that other stuff is sort of together. Um, it's made in a lab, not, it's not food, yeah. Yeah, so I think that there is that sort of disconnect a little bit mm-hmm. in the world that we live in now between yeah. what people consider to be food and mm-hmm. stuff that actually feeds stuff and um, people have got this idea that it's about calories so actually mm-hmm. if you can get 100 calories worth of mm-hmm. things that has healthy written on the label mm-hmm. then that must be okay um, rather than 100 calories which actually have all of yeah. these different nutrient qualities that you talk about yeah. in the articles that you write for yeah. um, but we've lost that nutrition aspect mm-hmm. of we what have. food should be yeah. would you say that we have we have completely and I think we're probably now in potentially third generation of that impact because if we think this all started to change in the 70s you know potentially we've got you know adults and and their children um now and and their parents who started to eat that way we've got three generations now of people who kind of been led to believe that this is this is the way that we eat um and it isn't if you know we wouldn't have if you look at health since the 70s and all of the things that have started to increase since the 70s and we didn't used to have obesity as a major issue at all we used to you know we used to have very low levels of obesity and obesity is it isn't greed you know i've said this to you before and i know that you heard me talk on this it isn't greed so it's not that we actually all are eating more you know we potentially are because portion sizes have got bigger but that isn't actually the main problem that isn't actually what is fueling this rise it's the type of food that people are eating and the availability of that type of food so the things that used to be an occasion and now the very norm of the diet and people don't even recognize that that has changed because their norm is that um and so when we have these increase in obesity, unfortunately, because obesity is a series of, of, of complex biological and emotional issues, we also have lots of um, comorbidities or associated conditions that come with obesity. And it is a health concern. I know, it, you know, people are like, well, so what if somebody's carrying a bit of extra weight if they're happy and healthy? To a point, yes, I agree with you, but 
excess weight does you know we are not designed to carry excess weight you think in just in terms of the musculoskeletal structure of a human we are not designed the hips and knees are not designed for the amount of excess weight that humans are carrying now and so we're having a huge increase in joint problems and a huge increase in hip and knee replacements and children today are you know considerably more likely and I have got the statistics somewhere but they escaped me at the moment much more um, likely to need to have hip and knee replacements in the future at a younger age and this is the thing that's really quite scary when we look at health changes we're now experiencing middle-aged health problems in childhood and that is really the result of our diet. And that is the significance of the change in our diet. It used to take up to 30, 40 years of living in a body and, you know, slightly abusing it, you know, with, with the way we eat and drink and move. That's now much more accelerated. And that just shows the real difference in our diet. If we are getting eight, uh, you know, eight year olds getting type two diabetes, that for me is quite terrifying because that is by the age of eight that level of metabolic distress by the age of eight for me is quite terrifying and yes that's that's not that common but it's certainly quite common when you get 11 over and so the fact that 20 25 years ago type 2 diabetes was called adult onset and now it isn't is is also a bit of an indicator that we are our diet is doing some damage yeah is sort of a point of that obesity is probably not a thing in and of itself but a symptom that something else is wrong it is that sort of the the general idea to, yeah to and that's exactly how i work rather with people. than trying to lose yeah weight. absolutely that's how i work with people weight loss is often their primary goal but I will park it down to probably point three or four on their list of things and and not focus on that completely to start with and then like you where they will be surprised actually that that starts to happen because the body actually is really clever at keeping us alive and we can we can do an awful lot of abuse to our body and it will continue to just do its best to keep us alive what it won't do is all the non-essential things so if it's constantly sort of fighting a battle to keep you alive it won't do a lot of the non-essential jobs that the body does if sort of opposite to that you are in optimal health you are you know you are eating the right food you are moving you are rested you are relaxing you are mindful you're all those sorts of things then your body can do more than keep you alive it can do all the non-essential things as well because you're keeping yourself alive and enabling the body to you know to do all the things the body should do because as humans we haven't evolved you know we haven't been able to survive as a species for the you know the, the length of time that we have with you know with we haven't had a diet industry we haven't had you know a lot of the medications we have we haven't had you know a lot of the convenience foods and we have survived and we've thrived and we've evolved now you know the last 30 40 years we're not surviving we're not thriving and we're evolving in the wrong way now i did write an article on um linking darwin's theory of evolution i haven't done this for you i can adopt one for you if you like it's really interesting but linking darwin's theory of evolution of a species and how a species adapts to its external environment if you consider how humans are doing that now those adaptations are not in our favor as a species we're adapting to an external environment that means we move less we eat more, we're more stressed, um, and all of those things together are actually make, they are affecting our evolution because we know, and I haven't done one on epigenetics for you, I had to do one on epigenetics as well. We know that there are heritable traits that we pass on, and that's how things impact from generation to generation. 
things that become the way we live our lives become our norm and they become a heritable trait and we know that obesity and type 2 diabetes are heritable traits and so for me the future is quite terrifying and that's why I think we really need to be addressing it properly and dieting is not is certainly not the solution <laughs> most people I meet feel a bit the only way I can describe it is a bit blur you know they're constantly tired constantly achy don't wake up feeling rested after they've had a night's sleep constantly hungry but never feel like they're satisfied from their food and potentially got digestive issues potentially feel stressed all the time you know stiff ache, achy shoulders achy joints you don't need to feel that way it's not just the norm okay most people feel that way but it's not we don't need to feel that way we feel that way generally because we have an inflammatory diet we're lacking in nutrients we're not moving we're not relaxing you don't need to feel that way and it's amazing when people then start to see the impact that food has and they're like oh I didn't know I could get through the day without a headache <laughs> and it's like and it's like they start to feel alive again because I think a lot of people are kind of not feeling particularly alive they're feeling a bit that idea that it might be because people are missing something in their diet or because um they're getting sort of they're concentrating on a, a small area like calories um, mm -hmm. and and that sort of idea that if we just eat the right amount of stuff um that we will be healthy um in terms mm -hmm. of that energy bit of food I think that is the messaging that we get um is that you know food is energy um and yeah. if you just right eat the right amount of energy then you'll burn it off and will work but mm. it's a lot more complicated than that yeah. and there's an awful lot of stuff that we get from food um okay. and in one of the articles that you've written for us um one of those um, initial articles about shifting the focus from food to nutrition mm -hmm. um you, you, you talk specifically about how calories don't count and nutrients do Mm -hmm. um, and there's some really interesting stuff in there about actually the stuff that we don't necessarily know about because it's not sort of information that is shared. It's a little bit more complicated than mm -hmm. maybe we can manage. Um, so things like that idea that we need phosphorus um, to help us release the energy from food. Mm -hmm. and we need magnesium to help us to relax and yeah. to release those energy from foods and iodine to support the thyroid with metabolism mm -hmm. and um, how, how much do you think people need to understand about what it is that they're actually eating um, rather than just looking at the the calories or the, yeah. the energy information yeah I think people, I mean, obviously I find the subject fascinating and so I will go to great lengths to, you know, to, to show the links and to show, you know, how the nutrients work in the body and how fascinating and amazing the body is. But nobody, if you're not particularly that interested in that, you don't need to go to those lengths. You just need to, I think in terms of kind of top tips, you need to understand the real impact that food has. And the one thing um, that people should take away is that the number of calories does not determine the nutrient value of food. Um, you rightly said you can have comparison number of calories. One is completely empty of nutrients and a lot of diet foods are. They'll say zero calories, zero this, that and the other. They're also zero nutrients. Or you can have something that is, you know, a similar amount of calories, um, but has got B vitamins, has got antioxidants which keep us healthy and support our immune system and has got things that enable the energy transfer around the body so you actually get some benefit from eating it rather than just 
eating something because it has 50 calories instead of 100. And so understanding that calories are not are not any way representative of the nutritional value of food is a big thing, but also just understanding that food is food. Um, and a lot of food that we eat now genuinely isn't food. It's genuinely been created in a lab and it's been created artificially to mask, you know, the fact that it's lacking in sugar, for example, take sugar. Because of the sugar tax, you know, all food manufacturers have had to reduce the number of sugar that goes into a product. Um, so what they've done to change it to make it taste the same is add in a lot of artificial ingredients just so that they can say they've, they're, you know, responding to what's been asked of them. What that does to your health is, you know, actually the sugar would probably be easier for your body to metabolize than the artificial ingredients because going back to that battle that I was talking about, if you're eating things that the body cannot get nutrients from, cannot get energy from, cannot metabolize and, you know, cannot and cannot think it's waste so therefore knows what to do with it. it it's treating it like it would treat something that isn't food and so that is taking quite a bit of your body's resource to deal with that artificial ingredient that is taking away the, the body's resources for doing things like making sure you're getting your nutrients from the other foods you may have eaten or making sure that you know those um any cellular communications take place that needs to so bigger subject which I, I think I've covered in an article is how the food we eat impacts on our mental health and our emotional stability so if we're eating the right kind of foods it's down to our kind of our, our gut microbiome which is a fascinating area of the body to manufacture things like serotonin which is a mood stabilizer it makes us feel calm makes us feel happy makes us feel content if your body's constantly kind of battling against weird ingredients and I, I, I don't you know not shy in calling them weird ingredients they are then it's not going to be doing all the other things that we want it to and actually the the impact of that is huge if we're not getting the energy around the body we tend to eat more even if we're eating things that are lower calorie if we never feel full you know we're going to keep eating <laughs> do, do you think that that sort of eating fake food instead of eating real food mm -hmm. is why people actually end up eating more because yes. they need more volume yes. of food to actually be satiated to, yes to, to there's, there's many reasons there's many reasons why it creates a cycle one is the food manufacturers know exactly what they are doing they know that they are creating food that is highly palatable and highly addictive and you know sugar addiction is is probably um another podcast because i genuinely could talk for so long on sugar it's a genuine addiction but the thing is that food manufacturers know this so there's a few reasons why we can eat more of these foods. One is that they are engineered in a way, and it is engineering, it's not cooking. They are engineered in a way to, to be highly palatable and highly addictive so that we do that. The second thing is because they're not real food, they're not creating um, the feeling full hormone, which is leptin. So when we eat real food, and things that are full in, you know, fiber, protein, etc. So if we had a, you know, something that was actually a proper piece of food, we would actually produce leptin and we would actually feel full. And we would know when to stop eating. We don't really produce leptin with these fake foods. So therefore, you know, you can find that you've eaten something and it's, you know, it's like, who had all that? Oh, me. And you've not even noticed that you've eaten yeah, it. Yeah, I can get all the way through a packet of yeah. biscuits and not realise that they're gone yeah. themselves. There's no more to dunking my teeth. Yeah. And you've not even realised, so you've not even enjoyed it. You know, that's you've not even had any pleasure from eating that. Um, and so I think there's there's lots of reasons why people can fall into this cycle. You, you, there's the hormonal link, so we're not we're increasing the ghrelin because that kind of eating is is increasing the hunger hormone because it's the type of food that we crave. Um, 
and then we're not producing leptin so we're not feeling full it's also causing spikes in blood sugar whether it's a sweet or savory food if it is that kind of processed um rubbishy food um, and not real food it is going to cause a spike in blood sugar and with a spike comes a drop and when you have that drop you then also have a mood drop so you can then start to feel quite irritable and quite restless and even angry in some cases and we see this in children quite a lot when they have a blood sugar dip they can get quite angry and it can happen mid-morning if they've not had a very good or a very high sugar breakfast or no breakfast at all and in the classroom or in a childcare setting they can start to be fidgety and restless and disruptive and they're, they're kind of then labeled as being a bit naughty but actually they're having a biological response and often with children and I do a lot of work on this with children to understand children's responses to behavior it's often a biological response rather than a behavioral response and so when a child is behaving in that way or is really struggling to concentrate you know you may think they're taking no notice of you they may not be able to they may be lacking in the nutrients that are supporting the brain function to enable them to listen and concentrate there's a quick assumption that somebody's being naughty or disruptive or not paying attention whereas more often than not it's a biological response that they're having. So we are aware that mm-hmm. food or the mm-hmm. things that we imbibe as substances yeah. can affect our mental and physical health, mm-hmm. our energy levels, our ability to cope with different things. Yeah. Um, I think you're right in that we just don't necessarily relate that back to no. all of the food that we eat. Um, and there is no. that message that less is better um, in terms mm-hmm. of that calorie piece and there is a lot Mm -hmm. of of focus on how much we're eating rather than the quality of what we're eating Um, and that where there is that focus on quality it tends to be on those sort of diet diet type healthy foods so it's Mm -hmm. about eating more vegetables and um, less of of, of stuff that might be considered bad because it's got a high fat content like avocados you know oh, that. don't get me started on avocados and the fact that they are considered sins you know it's it's um it's that misconception of fats again and this all this you mentioned the 70s and that's where our food landscape really started to change so when dietary fat was demonized not only was um solid fats like butter and cheese and things but so were all fats and so we started to have essential fat deficiencies because we were scared of fats and essential fats were essential for so many reasons there's very good reason why they're called essential fatty acids they actually make up 40 percent of our brain so if you consider deficiencies and the impacts on that it's huge um so much so that even in some offenders institutes they use um omega-3 supplements to curb aggressive behavior and it does work and so it shows the impact um, that food has and if we avoid fats because we're scared of them if that includes the essential fats we're actually more likely to put weight on because it sounds strange but eating the right fats actually helps you to lose fat um, eating the wrong fats doesn't and you know the, the wrong fats tend to be the things that appear in processed foods because they are created in a way to preserve the shelf life of that product another top tip i have to say if the shelf life of your product is abnormally long avoid it because 
food should go off. <laughs> um, quite simply, food should rot. It should not be able to sit in your cupboard for several years and still be palatable. Um, but yeah, we, we, we are quite scared. People are still quite scared of fats. I still get people scared to eat avocado or nuts or things like that. And, and it, passing that on to children as well in terms of, you know, not to have too much. Yes, we need a balance and we can't eat a block of cheese a day. Don't be scared of cheese. It's got amazing nutrients in it. It's a good source of protein. It's a good source of calcium. You know, don't be scared of avocados, for goodness sake. They're one of the healthiest and most versatile foods that we can eat. If you eat six a day, you might put some weight on because they're a high fat item. So it's 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 common sense, but also I think it's we are being misled. We are being misled um, about the foods we eat and that misleading information is having a much bigger toll on our health than we realize. And I interview a paediatrician on my food channel on Early Years TV and she's an A&E paediatrician um, but she says that 80 to 90 percent of causes of death, um, preventable cause of death and preventable illness are caused by our lifestyle. 80 to 90 percent is caused by our lifestyle. Now for me that's really empowering. For some people they're like horrified and, and think that's a terrifying statistic. But for me, it's not. It's amazingly empowering. We're not dying. Well, I, I say we're not dying from horrible disease. We're obviously in a, a, a strange viral outbreak at the moment. Um, but it's not like the Middle Ages where we have no control over sanitation and disease. We're in control of our lifestyle. We can make those decisions. We're just being misled about which are the right decisions to be making. That's, that's brilliant. Thank you. And that makes lots of sense. Um, you mentioned ABS TV there, and, and I am conscious that I have um, talked to you for an hour and ten minutes. And Gosh, time to fly. We will have to edit it down to a, a shorter version for the, the internet. Of um, course. So what I was going to ask is um, if people wanted to find out more um, about how they could change their own health, if they're struggling to sort of you know, do the things they want to do day to day or they do want to lose a little bit of weight or, yeah. or if they're looking for information to support sort of children that they work with um, in nursery mm-hmm. or um, in a setting um, how can they access earlier TV and find out more about the stuff that you do on that side of yeah. your nutritional life? So I have two websites. One is um, predominantly support adults and I do obviously support adults with weight loss but I have a very different approach to it. Um, so on my web, my website is um, www.thehealthkick, as in a kick up the bum, .co.uk um, and on there you will find information about the things that I do to support adults. There's also got some information about early years and a link um, but if you want to go directly to the early years and it's earlyyearsfood.tv and that's a separate website there for uh, specifically for people who work with and feed children. Um, so each month on there we'll do a monthly topic um, where I do a video the nutritional link of that topic so March is heart health so it's it's it may seem a bit why are you talking about heart health in children as I said children are getting adult diseases now so looking at the nutritional and lifestyle links of heart health um, we're covering the nutritional influences on autism in April and that's coming back to our ability to manage emotions rather than the causes of autism but the nutritional impact on the autistic populations of how they eat to support emotions and anxiety and 
and stress. Um, we have, you know, we have monthly recipes. I do a two-week meal plan and um, recipes within the academy membership and interviews in there as well. And and sort of back to my supporting adults, I have a, a very affordable online course. Um, which is me through a series of videos and download explaining the body in a way um, that explains the diet industry, the misleading information, how to lose weight properly. And that is actually the biology of fat metabolism. But I have a nice way of talking about it. So it's not like a science lesson, you know, it is, it is making it understandable and actionable, if that's the word, if not, it should be. Um, so that you can, you can actually implement things from there. And so that's all on both of the websites. Um, and I do monthly recipes on my own website, The Health Kick as well, which are more tailored for adults. Um, so different swaps, it's not about restrictions, it's about what's worthy of your body. And that's another big thing to take actually. Um, it's not about what you're allowed to eat, it's what is actually worthy of your body. If something is full of artificial rubbish, your body's amazing. It's not worth putting that load of rubbish into your body. You know, I don't mind how big you are or how much you hate your body. Your body's still amazing and you need to be giving it the right stuff. So uh, on my own website, thehealthkit.co.uk, there's monthly recipes um, for just some healthier tweaks. Well, thanks, Louise. And thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been absolutely lovely talking to you. Don't forget, if you've got some best practice or you'd like to share with us um, something great, um, you can get in touch with us at alumni at cash.org.uk. That's alumni, A-L-U-M-N-I, at cash, C-A-C-H-E for echo, dot org dot uk. And we'd love to speak to you. You can find us at the Cash Alumni website at www.cashalumni.org.uk or through the main CASH website for information about qualifications and other CPD at www.cachevecho.org.uk. Thanks very much, and until next time, take care.